Section 14 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Story of Abu Hassan, or The Sleeper Awakened, Part 4. When they arrived at the palace, the caliph ordered Abu Hassan to be laid on a sofa in the fourth hall, from whence he had been carried home fast asleep a month before. But first he bade his attendants to put him on the same habit in which he had acted the caliph, which was done. He then charged all the eunuchs, officers, ladies, and musicians who were in the hall, when he drank the last glass of wine which had put him to sleep, to be there by daybreak, and to take care to act their parts well when he should awake. He then retired to rest, charging Masrur to awake him before they went into the hall, that he might conceal himself in the closet as before. Mizrur, at the hour appointed, awakened the caliph, who immediately rose and went to the hall where Abu Hassan lay still asleep, and when he had placed himself in his closet, Mizrur and the other officers, ladies and musicians, who waited for him, went in and placed themselves about the sofa, so as not to hinder the caliph from seeing what passed, and noticing all his actions. Things being thus disposed, and the caliph's powder having had its effect, Abu Hassan began to awake, without opening his eyes, and threw off the phlegm, which was received in a gold basin as before. At that instant the seven bands of singers joined their voices to the sounds of oboes, fifes, flutes, and other instruments, forming a very agreeable concert. Abu Hassan was in great surprise to hear the delightful harmony, but when he opened his eyes and saw the ladies and officers about him, whom he thought he recognised, his amazement increased. The hall that he was in seemed to be the same he had seen in his first dream, and he observed the same lustres and the same furniture and ornaments. The concert ceased to give the caliph an opportunity of attending to the countenance of his guest and all that he might say in his surprise. The ladies, Mesrur, and all the officers of the chamber waited in profound and respectful silence. Abu Hassan bit his finger, and cried loud enough for the caliph to hear him. Alas, I am fallen again into the same dream and illusion that happened to me a month ago, and must expect again the bastinado and grated cell at the madhouse. Almighty God, added he, I commit myself into the hands of thy divine providence. He was a wicked man that I entertained at my house last night, who has been the cause of this illusion, and the hardships I must again undergo. The base wretch swore to shut the door after him, but did not, and the devil came in, and has turned my brain with this wicked dream of being commander of the faithful, and other phantoms which bewitch my eyes. God confound thee, Satan! and crush thee under some mountain of stones. After these words, Abu Hassan closed his eyes, and remained some time thoughtful and much perplexed. Then, opening them again, and looking about him, cried out a second time with less surprise, and smiling at the various objects before him, Great God, I commit myself into the hands of thy providence. Preserve me from the temptation of Satan. Then, shutting them again, he said, I will go to sleep until Satan leaves me, and returns as he came, were I to wait till noon. 
they did not give him time to go to sleep again as he promised himself for strength of hearts one of the ladies whom he had seen before approached and sitting down on the sofa by him said to him respectfully commander of the faithful i entreat your majesty to forgive me for taking the liberty to tell you not to go to sleep day appears and it is time to rise be gone satan answered abu hassan raising his voice but looking at the lady he said is it me you call the commander of the faithful certainly you take me for somebody else it is to your majesty i give that title replied the lady to whom it belongs as you are sovereign of the world and i am your most humble slave undoubtedly added she your majesty means to divert yourself by pretending to have forgotten yourself or this is the effect of some troublesome dream but if you would but open your eyes the mists which disturb your imagination would soon be dispelled and you would find yourself in your own palace surrounded by your officers and slaves who all wait your commands and that your majesty may not be surprised to find yourself in this hall and not in bed i beg leave to inform you that you fell so suddenly asleep last night that we were unwilling to awake you to conduit you to your chamber but laid you carefully upon this sofa in short she said to him so many things which appeared probable that at last he sat up opened his eyes and recollected her and all the ladies again they all approached him and she who spoke first resuming the discourse said commander of the faithful and vicar of the prophet on earth be not displeased if i acquaint your majesty once more that it is time to rise for day appears you are very troublesome and importunate replied abu hassan rubbing his eyes i am not the commander of the faithful but abu hassan i know it well and you shall not persuade me otherwise we do not know that abu hassan your majesty speaks of nor desire to know him answered the lady but we know you to be the commander of the believers and you cannot persuade us to the contrary abu hassan looking about and finding himself in the same hall attributed all he saw and heard to such a dream as he had had before and greatly feared the dreadful consequences allah have mercy on me said he lifting up his hands and eyes like a man who knew not where he was i commit myself into his hands i cannot doubt after what i have seen but that the devil who came into my chamber possesses me and fills my imagination full of all these visions the caliph who saw him all the time and heard these exclamations began to shake so heartily that he had much difficulty to forbear bursting into loud laughter abu hassan laying himself down again and shutting his eyes the same lady said commander of the faithful since your majesty does not rise after we have according to our duty informed you it is day and the dispatch of business requires your presence we shall use the liberty you give us in such cases then taking him by one arm and calling to one of the other ladies to do the same by the other they lifted him up and carried him into the middle of the hall where they seated him and all taking hands danced and skipped round him while the music played and sounded loudly in his ears 
Abu Hassan was in inexpressible perplexity, and exclaimed, What? Am I indeed caliph and commander of the faithful? And in his uncertainty would have said more, but the music was so loud that he could not be heard. At last he made a sign to String of Pearls and Morning Star, two of the ladies who were dancing, that he wanted to speak with them, upon which they forbore and went to him. Do not lie now, said he, but tell me truly who I am. Commander of the faithful, replied Morning Star, your majesty means either to surprise us by asking this question, as if you did not know that you are commander of the faithful, and vicar on earth of the prophet of God, master of both worlds, that whereon we now are, and that to come after death, or else you must have had some extraordinary dream that has made you forget who you are, which may well be, considering that your majesty has slept longer than ordinary. However, if you will give me leave, I will refresh your memory with what passed yesterday." She then told him how he went to council, punished the imam and the four old men, and had sent a present by his grand vizier of a thousand pieces of gold to the mother of one Abu Hassan, what he did in the inner part of the palace, and what passed at the three meals which he took in the three halls, adding, In the fourth, your majesty did us the honour to make us sit down by you, to hear our songs, and received wine from our hands until your majesty fell asleep, as strength of hearts has told you. From that time, your majesty has continued, contrary to custom, in a sound sleep until now. Strength of hearts, all your other slaves and the officers present can confirm what I say, and it is now time you should go to prayers. Very well, replied Abu Hassan, shaking his head. You would have me believe all this. But I tell you, you are all fools, or mad, and that is great pity, for you are very handsome. Since I saw you, I have been at home, where I used my mother so ill that they sent me to a madhouse, and kept me there three weeks against my will, beat me unmercifully every day, and yet you would make me believe all this to be a dream. Commander of the faithful, answered Morning Star, you are mistaken. We are ready to swear by all your majesty holds most dear, that all you relate can be only a dream. You have never stirred out of this hall since yesterday, but slept here all night. The confidence with which the lady assured Abu Hassan that all she said was truth, and that he had never been out of the hall since that time, bewildered his senses so that he was at a loss what to believe. Oh, heaven! said he to himself, Am I Abu Hassan, or the commander of the faithful? Almighty heaven, enlighten my understanding, and inform me of the truth, that I may know what to trust. He then uncovered his shoulders, and showed the ladies the livid wheels of the blows he had received. Look, said he, judge whether these strokes could come to me in a dream, or when I was asleep. For my part, I can affirm that they were real blows. I feel the smart of them yet, and that is a testimonial there is no room to doubt. Now, if I receive these strokes in my sleep, it is the most extraordinary thing in the world, and surpasses my comprehension. In this uncertainty, 
Abu Hassan called to one of the officers that stood near him. "'Come hither,' said he, "'and bite the tip of my ear, "'that I may know whether I am asleep or awake.' The officer obeyed, and bit so hard that he made him cry out loudly with the pain. The music struck up at the same time, and the officers and ladies all began to sing, dance, and skip about Abu Hassan, and made such a noise that he was in a perfect ecstasy, and played a thousand ridiculous pranks. He threw off his caliph's habit and his turban, jumped up in his shirt and drawers, and taking hold of two of the ladies' hands, began singing, jumping, and cutting capers, so that the caliph could not contain himself, but burst into such violent laughter that he fell backwards and was heard above the noise of all the musicians. He was so long before he could check himself that it had like to have been fatal. At last he got up, opened the lattice, and putting out his head cried, Abu Hassan, Abu Hassan, have you a mind to kill me with laughing? As soon as the caliph's voice was heard, everybody was silent, and Abu Hassan among the rest, who, turning his head to see from whence the voice came, knew the caliph, and in him recognized the Mosul merchant, but was not in the least daunted. On the contrary, he became convinced that he was awake, and that all that had happened to him had been real and not a dream. He entered into the caliph's pleasantry. Ha <laughs> ha, said he, looking at him with good assurance. You are a merchant of Mosul, and complain that I would kill you. You have been the occasion of my using my mother so ill, and of my being sent to a madhouse. It was you who treated the imam and the four sheikhs in the manner they were used, and not me. I wash my hands of it. It is you who have been the cause of all my disorders and sufferings. In short, you are the aggressor, and I the injured person. Indeed you are in the right, Abu Hassan, answered the caliph, laughing all the while. But to comfort you, and make amends for all your troubles, I call heaven to witness I am ready and willing to make you what reparation you please to ask. After these words, he came out of the closet into the hall, ordered one of his most magnificent habits to be brought, commanded the ladies to dress Abu Hassan in it, and when they had done, he said, embracing him, Thou art my brother, ask what thou wilt, and thou shalt have it. Commander of the faithful, replied Abu Hassan, I beg of your majesty to do me the favour to tell me what you did to disturb my brain in this manner, and what was your design, for it is a thing of the greatest importance for me to know that I may perfectly recover my senses. The caliph was ready to give him this satisfaction, and said, First you are to know that I often disguise myself, and particularly at night, to observe if all goes right in Baghdad. And as I wish to know what passes in its environs, I set apart the first day of every month to make an excursion, sometimes on one side, sometimes on another, and always return by the bridge. The evening that you invited me to supper, I was beginning my rounds, and in our conversation you told me that the only thing you wished for was to be caliph for four-and-twenty hours, to punish the imam of your mosque and his four counsellors. I fancied that this desire of yours would afford me diversion, and thought immediately how I might procure you the satisfaction you wished. I had about me a certain powder, 
which immediately throws the person who takes it into a sound sleep for a certain time. I put a dose of it, without being perceived by you, into the last glass I presented to you, upon which you fell fast asleep, and I ordered my slave to carry you to my palace, and came away without shutting the door. I have no occasion to repeat what happened when you awoke, nor during the whole day till evening, but after you had been regaled by my orders, one of the ladies put another dose of the same powder into a glass she gave you. You fell asleep as before, and the same slave carried you home, and left the door open. You have told me all that happened to you afterwards. I never imagined that you could have suffered so much as you have done. But as I have a great regard for you, I will do everything to comfort you, and make you forget all your sufferings. Think of what I can do to serve you, and ask me boldly what you wish. Commander of the Faithful, replied Abu Hassan, how great soever my tortures may have been, they are all blotted out of my remembrance, since I understand my sovereign lord and master had a share in them. I doubt not in the least of your majesty's bounty, but as interest never governed me, and you give me liberty to ask a favour, I beg that it may be that of having access to your person, to enjoy the happiness of admiring all my lifetime your virtues. This proof of disinterestedness in Abu Hassan confirmed the esteem the caliph had entertained for him. I am pleased with your request, said he, and grant you free access to my person at all times and all hours. At the same time, he assigned him an apartment in the palace, and in regard to his pension, told him that he would not have him apply to his treasurer, but come always to him for an order upon him, and immediately commanded his private treasurer to give him a purse containing a thousand pieces of gold. Abu Hassan made a low prostration, and the caliph left him to go to council. Abu Hassan took this opportunity to go and inform his mother of his good fortune, and that what had happened was not a dream, for that he had actually been caliph, had acted as such, and received all the honours, and that she had no reason to doubt of it, since he had this confirmed by the caliph himself. It was not long before this story of Abu Hassan was spread throughout Baghdad, and carried into all the provinces, both far and near, without the omission of a single circumstance. The new favourite, Abu Hassan, was always with the caliph, for, as he was a man of a pleasant temper, and created mirth wherever he went by his wit and drollery, the caliph formed no party of diversion without him, and sometimes carried him to visit his consort Zobeida, to whom he had related his story. Zobeida, who observed that every time he came with the caliph, he had his eyes always fixed upon one of her slaves, called Nujatul Audat, resolved to tell the caliph of it. Commander of the faithful, said she one day, you do not observe that every time Abu Hassan attends you in your visits to me, he never keeps his eyes off Nujatul Audat, and makes her blush, which is almost a certain sign that she entertains no aversion for him. If you approve of it, we will make a match between them. Madam, replied the caliph, you remind me of what I ought to have done before. I know Abu Hassan's opinion respecting marriage from himself, and have always promised him a wife that should please him. I am glad you mentioned the circumstance, 
for I know not how I came to forget it. But it is better that Abu Hassan should follow his own inclination and choose for himself. If Nujatul Audat is not averse to it, we ought not to hesitate upon their marriage. And since they are both present, they have only to say that they consent. Abu Hassan threw himself at the caliph's and Zubaydah's feet to show the sense he had of their goodness, and rising up said, I cannot receive a wife from better hands, but dare not hope that Nujatul Audat will give me her hand as readily as I give her mine. At these words he looked at the princess's slave, who showed by her respectful silence and the sudden blush that arose in her cheeks that she was disposed to obey the caliph and her mistress Zobeda. The marriage was solemnized, and the nuptials celebrated in the palace, with great rejoicings, which lasted several days. Zobeda made her slave considerable presents, and the caliph did the same to Abu Hassan. The bride was conducted to the apartment the caliph had assigned Abu Hassan, who awaited for her with all the impatience of a bridegroom, and received her with the sound of all sorts of instruments, and musicians of both sexes, who made the air echo with their concert. After these feasts and rejoicings, which lasted several days, the newly married couple were left to pursue their loves in peace. Abu Hassan and his spouse were charmed with each other, lived together in perfect union, and seldom were asunder. But when either he paid his respects to the caliph, or she hers to Zobeda, indeed, Nujatul Audat was endued with every qualification capable of gaining Abu Hassan's love and attachment, was just such a wife as he had described to the caliph, and fit to sit at the head of his table. With these dispositions they could not fail to pass their lives agreeably. They kept a good table, covered with the nicest and choicest rarities in season, by an excellent cook, who took upon him to provide everything. Their sideboard was always stored with exquisite wines, placed within their reach when at table, where they enjoyed themselves in an agreeable conversation, and afterwards entertained each other with some pleasantry or other, which made them laugh more or less, as they had in the day met with something to divert them. And in the evenings which they consecrated to mirth, they had generally some slight repast of dried sweetmeats, choice fruits, and cakes, and at each glass invited each other by new songs to drink, and sometimes accompanied their voices with a lute or other instruments which they could both touch. Abu Hassan and Nujatul Audat led this pleasant life unattentive to expense, until at length the caterer, who had dispersed all his and their money for these expenses, brought them in a long bill, in hope of having an advance of cash. They found the amount to be so considerable that all the presents which the caliph and Zubeda had given them at their marriage were but just enough to pay him. This made them reflect seriously on what was past, which, however, was no remedy for the present evil. But they agreed to pay the caterer, and having sent for him, gave him all they owed him, without considering the difficulty they should be in immediately after. The caterer went away, highly pleased at receiving so large a sum, though Abu Hassan and his wife were not so well satisfied with seeing the bottom of their purse, but remained a long time silent and very much embarrassed, to find themselves reduced to poverty the very first year of their marriage. 
Abu Hassan remembered that the caliph, when he took him into the palace, had promised never to let him want, but when he considered how prodigal he had been of his money, was unwilling to expose himself to the shame of letting the caliph know the ill use he had made of his bounty, and that he wanted a supply. Besides, he had made over his patrimony to his mother, when the caliph had received him near his person, and was afraid to apply to her, lest she should discover that he had returned to the same extravagance he had been guilty of after his father's death. His wife, on the other hand, regarded Zobeda's generosity, and the liberty she had given her to marry, as more than a sufficient recompense for her service, and thought she had no right to ask more. Abu Hassan at last broke silence, and looking at his wife said, I see you are in the same embarrassment as myself, and thinking what we must do in this unhappy juncture, when our money fails us so unexpectedly. I do not know what your sentiments may be, but mine are, let what will happen, not to retrench our expenses in the least, and I believe you will come into my opinion. The point is, how to support them without stooping to ask the caliph or Zubaydah, and I think I have fallen on the means, but we must assist each other. This discourse of Abu Hassan very much pleased his wife, and gave her some hopes. I was thinking so as well as you, said she, but durst not explain my thoughts, because I do not know how we can help ourselves, and must confess that what you tell me gives me a revival of pleasure. Since you say you have found out a resource, and my assistance is necessary, you need but tell me in what way, and I will do all that lies in my power. I was sure, replied Abu Hassan, that you would not fail me in a business which concerns us both, and therefore I must tell you, this want of money has made me think of a plan which will supply us, at least for a time. It consists in a little trick we must put, I upon the caliph, and you upon Zobeda, and at which, as I am sure they will both be diverted, it will answer advantageously for us. You and I will both die. Not I, indeed, interrupted Nujatul Audat. You may die by yourself, if you please, but I am not so weary of this life, and whether you are pleased or not, will not die so soon. If you have nothing else to propose, you may die by yourself, for I assure you I shall not join you. You are a woman of such vivacity and wonderful quickness, replied Abu Hassan, that you scarcely give me time to explain my design. Have but a little patience, and you shall find that you will be ready enough to die such a death as I intend, for surely you could not think I meant a real death. Well, said his wife, if it is but a sham death you design, I am at your service, and you may depend on my zeal to second you in this manner of dying. But I must tell you truly, I am very unwilling to die as I apprehended you at first. Be but silent a little, said Abu Hassan, and I will tell you what I promise. I will feign myself dead, and you shall lay me out in the middle of my chamber, with my turban upon my face, my feet towards Mecca, as if ready to be carried out to burial. When you have done this, you must lament and weep bitterly, as is usual in such cases, tear your clothes and hair, or pretend to do it, and go all in tears with your locks dishevelled to Zobeda. The princess will of course inquire the cause of your grief, and when you have told her, 
with words intermixed with sobs, she will pity you, give you money to defray the expense of my funeral, and a piece of good brocade to cover my body, that my interment may be the more magnificent, and to make you a new dress in the room of that you will have torn. As soon as you return with the money and the brocade, I will rise, lay you in my place, and go and act the same part with the caliph, who I dare say will be as generous to me as Zobeda will have been to you. Nujatul Aoudat highly approved the project, and said to Abba Hassan, Come, lose no time, strip to your shirt and drawers, while I prepare a winding sheet. I know how to bury, as well as anybody, for while I was in Zobeda's service, when any of my fellow slaves died, I had the conducting of the funeral. Abu Hassan did as his wife mentioned, and laid himself on the sheet which she had spread on the carpet in the middle of the room. As soon as he had crossed his arms, his wife wrapped him up, turned his feet towards Mecca, and put a piece of fine muslin and his turban upon his face, so that nothing seemed wanting but to carry him out to be buried. After this she pulled off her headdress, and with tears in her eyes, her hair dishevelled, and seeming to tear it off, with a dismal cry and lamentation, beating her face and breast with all the marks of the most lively grief, ran across the court to Zobeda's apartments, who, hearing the voice of a person crying very loud, commanded some of her women to see who it was. They returned and told her that it was Nujatul Aoudat, who was approaching in a deplorable condition. The princess, impatient to know what had happened to her, rose up immediately and went to meet her at the door of her antechamber. Nujatul Aoudat played her part to perfection. As soon as she saw Zobeda, who held the door open, she redoubled her cries, tore her hair off by handfuls, beat her face and breast, and threw herself at her feet, bathing them with her tears. Zobeda, amazed to see her slave in such extraordinary affliction, asked what had happened, but instead of answering, she continued her sobs, and at last, feigning to strive to check them, said, with words interrupted by sighs, Alas, my most honoured lady and mistress, what greater misfortune could have befallen me than this, which obliges me to throw myself at your majesty's feet? God prolong your days, my most respectable princess, in perfect health, and grant you many happy years. Abu Hassan, poor Abu Hassan, whom you honoured with your esteem, and gave me for a husband, is no more. At these words, Nujatul Aoudat redoubled her tears and sighs, and threw herself again at the princess's feet. Zobeda was extremely concerned at this news. Abu Hassan dead? cried she. That agreeable, pleasant man! I did not expect his death so soon. He seemed to promise a long life, and well deserved to enjoy it. She then also burst into tears, as did all her women, who had been often witnesses of Abu Hassan's pleasantries when the caliph brought him to amuse the princess Zobeda, and altogether continued for some time bewailing his loss. At length the princess Zobeda broke silence. "'Wicked woman!' cried she, addressing herself to the false widow. "'Perhaps you may have occasioned his death.' Your ill-temper has given him so much vexation 
that you have at last brought him to his grave. Nujatul Aoudat seemed much hurt at the reproaches of Zobeda. Ah, oh, madam, cried she, I do not think I ever gave your majesty, while I was your slave, reason to entertain so disadvantageous an opinion of my conduct to a husband who was so dear to me. I should think myself the most wretched of women if you were persuaded of this. I behave to Abu Hassan as a wife should do to a husband for whom she has a sincere affection, and I may say, without vanity, that I had for him the same regard he had for me. I am persuaded he would, were he alive, justify me fully to your majesty. But, madam, added she, renewing her tears, his time was come, and that was the only cause of his death. Zobeda, as she had really observed in her slave a uniformly equal temper, mildness, great docility, and zeal for her service, which showed she was rather actuated by inclination than duty, hesitated not to believe her on her word, and ordered her treasurer to fetch a hundred pieces of gold and a piece of rich brocade. The slave soon returned with the purse and piece of brocade, which, by Zobeda's order, she delivered to Nujatul Aoudat, who threw herself again at the princess's feet, and thanked her with great self-satisfaction at finding she had succeeded so well. Go, said Zubeda, use that brocade to cover the corpse of your husband, and with the money bury him handsomely, as he deserves. Moderate the transport of your afflictions. I will take care of you. As soon as Nujatul Aoudat got out of the princess's presence, she dried up her tears, and returned with joy to Abu Hassan, to give him an account of her good success. When she came home, she burst out laughing on seeing her husband still stretched out in the middle of the floor. She ran to him, bade him rise and see the fruits of his stratagem. He arose and rejoiced with his wife at the sight of the purse and brocade. Unable to contain herself at the success of her artifice, "'Come, husband,' said she, laughing, "'let me act the dead part, and see if you can manage the caliph as well as I have done Zobeda.' That is the temper of all women, replied Abu Hassan, who, we may well say, have always the vanity to believe they can do things better than men, though at the same time what good they do is by their advice. It would be odd indeed if I, who laid this plot myself, could not carry it on as well as you. But let us lose no time in idle discourse. Lie down in my place, and witness if I do not come off with as much applause." Abu Hassan wrapped up his wife as she had done him, and with his turban unrolled, like a man in the greatest affliction, ran to the caliph, who was holding a private council with Ja'afir and other confidential viziers. He presented himself at the door, and the officer, knowing he had free access, opened it. He entered, holding with one hand his handkerchief before his eyes, to hide the feigned tears which trickled down his cheeks, and striking his breast with the other, with exclamations expressing extraordinary grief. The caliph, always used to seeing Abu Hassan with a merry countenance, was very much surprised to behold him in so much distress. He interrupted the business of the council to inquire the cause of his grief. "'Commander of the faithful,' answered Abu Hassan, with repeated sighs and sobs, "'God preserve your majesty on the throne which you fill so gloriously.' 
a greater calamity could not have befallen me than what I now lament. Alas, Nujatul Audat, whom you and your bounty gave me for a wife, to gladden my existence, alas! At this exclamation, Abu Hassan pretended to have his heart so full that he could not utter more, but poured forth a flood of tears. The caliph, who now understood that Abu Hassan came to tell him of the death of his wife, seemed much concerned, and said to him, with an air which showed how much he regretted her loss, "'God be merciful to her. She was a good slave, and we gave her to you with an intention to make you happy. She deserved a longer life.' The tears then ran down his face, so that he was obliged to pull out his handkerchief to wipe them off. The grief of Abu Hassan and the tears of the caliph excited those of Jafir and the other viziers. They bewailed the death of Nujatul Aoudat, who on her part was only impatient to hear how Abu Hassan succeeded. The caliph had the same suspicion of the husband that Zubaydah had of the wife, and imagined that he had occasioned her death. Wretch, said he, in a tone of indignation, have not you been the cause of your wife's death by your ill-treatment of her? You ought at least to have had some regard for the princess, my consort, who loved her more than the rest of her slaves, yet consented to give her to you. What a return for her kindness! Commander of the faithful, replied Abu Hassan, affecting to weep more bitterly than before, can your majesty for a moment suppose that Abu Hassan, whom you have loaded with your favours and kindness, and on whom you have conferred honours he could never have aspired to, can have been capable of such ingratitude? I loved Nujatul Aoudat, my wife, as much on these accounts as for the many good qualities she possessed, and which drew from me all the attachment, tenderness, and love she deserved. But, my lord, added he, she was to die, and God would no longer suffer me to enjoy a happiness for which I was indebted to your majesty and your beloved consort. Abu Hassan dissembled so well that the caliph, who had never heard how extravagantly he and his wife had lived, no longer doubting his sincerity, ordered his treasurer, who was present, to give Abu Hassan a purse of a hundred pieces of gold and a piece of brocade. Abu Hassan immediately cast himself at the caliph's feet, and thanked him for his present. "'Follow the treasurer,' said the monarch. "'Throw the brocade over the corpse, and with the money show the last testimony of thy love for thy wife.' Abu Hassan made no reply to these obliging words of the caliph, but retiring with a low prostration, followed the treasurer, and as soon as he had got the purse and piece of brocade, went home, well pleased with having found out so quick and easy a way of supplying the necessity which had given him so much uneasiness. Nujatul Aoudat, weary with lying so long in one posture, waited not till Abu Hassan bade her rise, but as soon as she heard the door open, sprang up, ran to her husband, and asked him if he had imposed on the caliph as cleverly as she had done on Zobedah. "'You see,' said he, showing her the stuff and shaking the purse, that I can act a sorrowful husband for a living wife as well as you can a weeping widow for a husband not dead. Abu Hassan, however, was not without his fears 
that this double plot might be attended with some ill consequences. He thought it would not be amiss to put his wife on her guard as to what might happen, that they might act in concert. For, added he, the better we succeed in embarrassing the caliph and Zubeda, the more they will be pleased at last, and perhaps may show their satisfaction by greater liberality. This last consideration induced them to carry on their stratagem farther. The caliph, though he had important affairs to decide, was so impatient to condole with the princess on the death of her slave, that he rose up as soon as Abu Hassan was gone, and put off the council to another day. "'Follow me,' said he to Mizrur, who always attended him wherever he went, and was in all his councils. "'Let us go and share with the princess the grief which the death of her slave, Nujatul Awadat, must have occasioned.' Accordingly, they went to Zubeda's apartment, whom the caliph found sitting on a sofa, much afflicted and still in tears. "'Madam,' said the caliph, going up to her, "'it is unnecessary to tell you how much I partake with you in your affliction, since you must be sensible that what gives you pleasure or trouble has the same effect on me. But we are all mortal, and must surrender up to God that life he has given us when he requires it. Nujatul Aoudat, your faithful slave, was endued with qualifications that deserved your esteem, and I cannot but approve your expressing it after her death. But consider, all your grief will not restore her to life. Therefore, madam, if you love me, and will take my advice, be comforted for this loss, take care of a life which you know is precious to me, and constitutes all the happiness of mine. If the princess was charmed with these tender sentiments which the caliph expressed in his compliments, she was amazed to hear of Nujatul Awdat's death. This news threw her into such astonishment that she was not able to return an answer for some time. At last recovering, she replied with an air expressive of surprise, Commander of the faithful, I am very sensible of all your tender sentiments, but give me leave to say... I cannot comprehend the news you tell me of the death of my slave, who is in perfect health. My affliction is for the death of Abu Hassan, her husband, your favourite, whom I esteemed as much for the regard you had for him, as his having so often diverted me agreeably, and for whom I had as great a value as yourself. But the little concern you show for his death, and you're so soon forgetting a man in whose company you have so often told me you took so much pleasure, surprises me. And this insensibility seems the greater from the deception you would put upon me in changing his death for that of my slave. End of section 14